Hi. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Brett Stoven, captain of the Bisons men's hockey team, on why the Bisons are dedicating their games Friday to mental health awareness. They have a very personal story connection to mental health. Also, Camp Manitou welcoming new Canadians this weekend. They're diving headfirst into winter, a crash course. We'll get into that. Plus, we'll head to Phoenix, where the Phoenix Suns owner just got a bunch of taxpayer money to fix up the arena. But the important part is what was said during the council meeting. It's weird. You'll want to hear it on the podcast. Mental health awareness on the minds of many at the University of Manitoba as both the men's hockey team and the school's volleyball teams holding Let's Talk Day associations with their games on Friday for the men's hockey team. Mental health has been a huge focus this season. They've struggled to win a lot of games while trying to cope with the loss of a former teammate. Brett Stoven, the captain of the Bisons men's hockey team, joins us now on the CGOB Sports Show. Brett, why is it important to talk about mental health awareness like the Bisons are doing? It kind of, there's a bit of a long story that goes into it. Um, as a hockey player, uh, growing up, you kind of learn that you have an obligation to give back to the community. Um, often communities are the ones that support you on uh, as you grow up. So now that we're kind of into a situation where we can start to give back as, as student athletes, um, you know, this is kind of an opportunity for us to, to get out there and, and help in any way we can. Um, often kids look up to, to players in, in situations, whether it's a professional team or a university team or, or something like that. So um, it is important that in that way. Um, and in another way, many of our team have been affected with, uh, with some mental health, uh, mental health issues over the last couple summers. So um, it kind of hits close to home for a lot of players. And um, it was just a scenario where, our team and, and Bison Sports as a, as a group would like to like to help at least one person. So why is it important in a sports environment and in a locker room to have a good support system to feel comfortable talking about something like mental health? Um, for a lot of us, there, there's a lot of guys that move away from home. Um, I mean, we have a couple of Americans, some guys from Alberta, um, and, and your team is your closest friend. So you might not have some family here. You might not have a lot of a lot of people that you can really reach out to here. So, having a team that you can be super close with is is super important. Um, you know, it's kind of your first step if if you're struggling with something. You reach out to a teammate. Um, you're not really going to reach out to a to a professor or something like that. In the for the most part, so um, you know, having your friends, having your teammates that you're that you're able to talk to and comfortable talking to, whether it's the leadership group or maybe just your stallmate or something like that. It's definitely the first step if you're struggling with something. Um, in, a, in a student athlete role, it's very stressful. You have school, you have work, you have volunteer stuff, you have hockey, um, and in every category, you have to perform at the highest level. So, it is extremely stressful at times, and, and having each other lean on is super important. Um, and from there, you can always move on if if you really feel you need to. You can go to a professional, but for the most part, having your teammates there is always always a huge help. On the Bison's website story about uh, the upcoming association with mental health awareness, you mentioned that uh, many of your team lost a former teammate and friend this summer. Do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah. Um, I mean, in hockey, there's there's a lot of stigma around concussions and, and fighting and hitting and everything like that. And, and many of us had a, had a former teammate that had struggled with concussions, and we, uh, we lost them this summer um and it was 
pretty devastating for some of our teammates um, and for his family and, and many friends. And, um, you know, it's, it's never easy to deal with, but in a way it was an opportunity for us to turn something that was devastating for the community into a positive thing for, for him and for the hockey community. Um, you know, you always want to leave a legacy, a positive legacy of, of an individual. And our teammate that we lost over the summer was, was a very hardworking man that played a physical game, um, but was always the happiest and friendliest person in the dressing room. So um, for us, we're actually launching a, one of our teammates is launching a um, three-on-three outdoor hockey tournament um, at Bronx Park in February that we're going to be putting on. And it's a, it's a fundraiser for mental health awareness and concussions. Um, so it's, uh, it was definitely a difficult time and, and still many people are going through, um, a tough time with that, but, uh, but I mean, we, we leaned on each other and that's kind of what we need to do as a, as a team and, and friends and family, everyone can support each other. And also back in November, your team also did a, a pretty strong November drive. Yeah, um, that was uh, something that kind of one of the guys we've done for the last couple of years, but one of the guys really decided to kind of push it this year. Um, just again, as a mental health awareness thing, um, we've always been very involved in the community through Bison Sports, but this year, with everything that's happened recently, we decided to, as a group, really focus in on the mental health awareness and and try and get rid of all the stigmatizations. And, um, you know, it was... It was something one of the guys just kind of started and decided he was going to do it on his own, and guys slowly jumped on board with that, and it became a pretty successful uh, fundraiser, and we donated just over $3,000 to the Movember campaign, which definitely blew our minds. We weren't expecting to do that. So um, it's it's something that we like. We enjoy giving back, and, and we feel that it's it's definitely important to do in, this, in the positions that we're in. I feel like over the last decade, there's been such an emphasis on mental health and getting rid of the stigma, feeling, making sure people feel comfortable talking about it. Do you feel that it's been that way as well over your, you know, looking back to when you started playing hockey to where we are now? Certainly. Um, the biggest thing I notice is, you know, you have your, your super tough fighters that don't really want to talk about things historically in hockey. And um, that role is starting to go away. Um, even when I played in junior, you know, my first couple of years of junior, we had fighters still that, that, that was their sole role was to go out and fight and, and intimidate the other team with toughness. And, um, by the time I was done playing junior, the, that role had kind of started to disappear. And now at U of M, there's no fighting or anything like that. And, and the toughness is now a physical game, but in saying that when you lose that toughness on the ice, guys are more willing to kind of talk about things. And um, in the dressing room, you know, guys are with, with everything that's happened in the last 10 years, like guys are more willing to talk about things. It's a huge thing that the, the fighters in the NHL um, that used to play very, very tough roles have now kind of taken the lead on this. Um, and a lot of guys like Daniel Carcillo are out there trying to get rid of the stigmatizations and, and talk more about, the mental illness and kind of show hockey players that it's okay to talk about things because historically it's, we're expected to be tough, tough hockey players that, that don't really talk about things and, and play a pretty physical role. And, um, 
now it's kind of getting to the point where it's okay to okay to talk about things. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to be those those crazy fighters that just want to go out there and intimidate other teams with toughness. Um, I think every team's and every player is more willing to talk about um, talk about anything that they're facing in the dressing room. Well, Brett, I think it's great that you guys are doing this. Uh, best of luck tomorrow night. A great message that you guys are t- continuing to try to get out there. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Camp Manitou will be a happening spot this weekend as a number of new Canadians are introduced to winter through a program called Welcome to Winnipeg. Basically a crash course on winter. Rick Wohinski is the director of the camp, joins me now. Rick, just for my personal knowledge, where is Camp Manitou? Camp Manitou is located in Headingley. We're probably about three or four minutes outside the west perimeter. Okay. Yeah. So almost Winnipeg. Almost Winnipeg. Really yeah. close. Okay. And how big is Camp Manitou? Camp Manitou is currently 29 acres. We are expanding. We've had 11 acres of land donated to us just on the north side of the property, so we'll be 40 acres come next summer. All right, and I guess what all do you have there? We've got a lot of fun activities, actually, summer and winter. This particular event for Welcome to Winnipeg, we focus on the winter activities. We've got a new outdoor hockey rink, although when I say outdoor, it's got a roof on it and a nice plant, so it's not your typical outdoor rink. It's probably the nicest one in probably Western Canada, I'm guessing. We've got a toboggan slide and cross-country ski and snowshoe trails, um, and then a gym space if we get days like today for activities that can go inside. Then in the summertime, we've got a lot of the traditional camp activities, archery and fire building, swimming pool, uh, bikes for uh, biking on trails, um, all kinds of uh, fun activities, a zip line, a 25-foot climbing wall, uh, lots of activities for kids in the summertime. And coming up on Saturday, you have a... Welcome to Winnipeg event. Basically a a crash course for new members of the country? Yeah, it's a really interesting event. A ton of fun. We started last year basically to introduce new Canadians to Winnipeg and what our winters are like and try to get them involved in some winter activities. A joint initiative of the NHL and the NHLPA funding was put in to try to basically create new fans. So we've got new Canadians coming, and we do introduce them, of course, to hockey, and they get to try skating on our new rink. And then in addition, we give them other winter activities like cross-country skiing and snowshoeing and tobogganing. And also they get a hot meal and a chance to be inside. Um, this one on Saturday is going to be interesting because we're probably going to get some uh, some pretty good Winnipeg weather for them. Yeah, it's in the minus 20s. I know that for sure. Uh, this is uh, members of the Congo Canada Charity Foundation. So I would imagine it's safe to assume they've never been on skates before. The vast majority will probably never have been on skates. There may be a few that have been in Winnipeg a little longer and may have had a chance to maybe go to the Forks once or community centre. But by and large, our experience after having done this now for several events, probably 95% of the people that come have never had skates. And it's, it's fascinating, actually, to see them put the skates on for the first time, take a look at the ice, probably never seen something frozen like this before, and then trying to take those first few steps. And we've got staff helping them and that type of thing. But it really is uh, a lot of fun to see the the look in their eyes and the fun that they're having trying something brand new that they've never tried. It actually is quite inspiring. Yeah, it's got to be amazing to, to see that and for them as well, that first experience of something that's just so different to anything they would have ever experienced growing up in a warmer climate like Africa. Absolutely amazing. We we did it last year on Super Bowl Sunday, and this Saturday is probably going to be no different in terms of weather. And the group that came last year when it was minus 25 plus wind chill, mm. and to see the smiles on their faces doing these various activities, some of them came not 
properly dressed for the weather, and we had some extra mitts and extra toques, and they, they stayed out on the rink for half an hour to 45 minutes of time, didn't come in to warm up. Same thing with the skiing, and it was amazing for our staff to see and really encouraging that these people just, they wanted to try something like this so badly that the weather didn't seem to, to affect them, and that was awesome to see. Well, there's a certain ingrained resiliency when you uproot your life to come to a place like Canada. Very true, and you can see that you can see that heart in these people, and 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 the and the toughness that they've developed, and 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 the the type of character they have just to persevere through something, and that shone through all the way through. They were here for each group gets to be here for about a half a day and try these activities, and there's a real willingness to not stop when they might fail at trying something for the first time. So nice to see. What have you learned from this experience? I've learned that you know we take for granted the opportunity that we have and we complain so much about our winters and a lot of people do complain about the winters in Winnipeg having grown up here and lived here all my life you you realize how much you can actually appreciate it and I think you really need to embrace it and these people just they I think they drive that home for us you really need to appreciate the opportunity you have for these sometimes it might be six months of cold weather just to take advantage and do it and try something new and not quit and 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 be willing to enjoy the place you are right now this is where you live this is the way it is and they try it and love it and and it's just so encouraging to see Absolutely. And, you know, coming to a place like this from, let's say, Nebraska, it's one thing saying, okay, I want to adapt. I want to try to fit in. I want to embrace winter because really the one way to survive winter is to embrace it. But another thing entirely when you have people coming from the Congo and this is all very foreign to them and it's got to be impressive, not just the skating, but really embracing the snow even. Yeah, definitely. It- it was. It's interesting to have some conversations with different people from these groups as they've come through over the last several months and last year. Just even the fascination that they had, looking down and wondering how we got this to be ice, and and figuring out how how the ice was actually made, and and how how you're actually able to move on the ice. Just all things that we don't even think of growing up here and getting on skates. A lot of us when we're two, three, four, five years old, and seeing this now in adults and seeing them use those those chairs that they need to push when you're when everyone kind of uses when you're starting and it just uh, yeah there's no other I mean the biggest thing I could say is it's just really inspiring to see people do this and and see their appreciation for trying something new what are the ages of the people that are part of this program it really varies actually this weekend we do expect there to be a lot of youth uh, children and youth with maybe a few families and we've really had a range right through as we've done welcome to Winnipeg anywhere from four- and five-year-olds right through to grandparents. And that, that's the thing I think I find really exciting about this program is we're introducing, and on the rink it's really neat. So we're using skates from the smallest size to the biggest size, and we've got three different generations out on the ice skating at one time, parents, grandparents, and the kids. And you can just see the fun that they're all having. And to see someone who's 60, 65, even 70 years old and putting skates on for the very first time in their life is amazing because typically, again, in Canada, in Winnipeg, that happens for most people at the age of probably before school or when you just get school age. What's True North's involvement in this? Yeah, so the True North Youth Foundation is the charitable arm of the Winnipeg Jets, and we've taken over operation of Camp Manitou now. This will be the fifth year that we're into. Uh, just had our fifth anniversary. And so our staff will come out for the day, and we run all of the activities and um, get a chance to interact with all the new Canadians that are coming and, and bring a hot meal for them. And again, it's that the fortunate position we're in to be the charitable arm of the Jets and have the NHL and the NHLPA um, affiliation to get the funding to make this event happen. So we're, we're really fortunate as the True North Youth Foundation to be involved. Do these participants end up getting to see a Jets game? 
Yeah, that's the really neat part about the program is included with the day of activities and the hot meal that they get. They also get a ticket to an upcoming game. So these people from the Congo that are going to be here on Saturday will be going to a game in February sometime after the All-Star break. And in addition, they get a $25 gift card to go to Jets Gear Store. So they'll purchase some type of Jets memorabilia and uh, they'll have a great time. Many of them, again, probably first time seeing a game live. We've noticed over these events that there are a number of them that do watch the Jets on TV. Um, so that's actually all, uh, really neat too, to just to see that connection and that tie-in and potentially creating new Jets fans that, you know, one day could be down a porridge in Maine when, when there's a parade one day for winning the Stanley Cup. Who knows? It could be in a few months. You never it, know. It very well could be this June. You never know. All right, Rick. Well, I appreciate your time tonight and uh, enjoy yourself this weekend. Sounds like it's going to be a, a, a fascinating and fun time. Uh, thank you for your time and thanks for having me. So in December... It was made public that there was a funding agreement to get the arena where the Suns play in Phoenix some renovations. Building's not that old, but less than a week before the scheduled vote, the city of Phoenix would pay $150 million for renovations to the arena. The Suns would pay $80 million. The city would pay $25 million into a fund for future maintenance. The Suns will contribute $12.5 million. So 65% of the renovation costs for Phoenix, second highest share of taxpayer money of the 14 arena deals reached around the nation over the last five years, also one of the shortest deals in the country. Now, originally, they were going to vote on this last month. Public pressure resulted in it being pushed back a month. And some of that public pressure became, well, a bit of a viral moment for one woman. Mr. Sarver has done nothing to improve this team in the 14 years he's owned it, he's never funded or bought, paid for two or three key players, which make any sports team, professional sports team, successful or on the road to success. He's so tight, he squeaks when he walks. Oh! That is 90-year-old Greta Rogers Dropping the hammer on Suns owner Robert Sarver. Of course, in the end, it didn't matter. The council passes it by a 6-2 vote. And by the way, uh, a newspaper talked to Rogers yesterday, laughed at the idea that a 30-year-old building needs upgrades. Quote, I'm three times that old. My facility's doing pretty well. But the weird part yesterday was after former councilwoman and Maricopa County Supervisor Mary Rose Wilcox spoke in favor of the arena. An older man was given a turn at the microphone. The public must be allowed to vote on this. If you go ahead and pass this, you are crossing a line and carrying out the equivalent of an act of violence against the public. Okay, fair enough. Continue. On August 13th, 1997, I walked into the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors Auditorium and shot Mary Rose Wilcox over the baseball stadium tax matter. Say what now? You must let the public vote on this matter. If you go ahead and pass it, you're crossing a line, and it's equivalent to a bloody act of violence against the public. I mean, I guess you'd know about a bloody act of violence, but I digress. A couple hours after I shot her, I held a press conference, and here's an exact quote of the statement I made. I said I shot Wilcox to try to put a stop to the political dictatorship of Jerry Colangelo, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors in Arizona state legislation and passing the baseball stadium tax and to try to force them to demolish the Bank One ballpark, 
So to restore the vote of the people is the bottom line, and restore the public's faith in their democratic election system, and to restore democracy in, Mar in Maricopa County. Yeah, I guess shooting someone would certainly help that. You must let the public vote on this matter. If you don't, you're crossing a line and carrying out the equivalent of a bloody act of violence against the public. Dude, you said that already, man, but I'll let you finish in a second. This is Larry Naaman, who, again, shot Wilcox over her support of a tax to fund the Diamondback Stadium. He was convicted of attempted murder, served 12 years of a 15-year sentence before being released in 2010, told reporters yesterday he's no longer on parole, doesn't own a gun, but also that he doesn't regret what he did 22 years ago. A couple hours after that press conference, I made this statement. I said, I'm very seriously worried I'm going to be assaulted and murdered in this jail by Jerry Clenz, one of Arizona's political leaders. They slammed me in a mental hospital and a psychiatric ward for a few days and told me how sick I was for making that statement. Eight months later, after my trial, but before my sentence, they installed an inmate in my living pod area. He came into my cell, hit me in the back of the head, knocked me out cold, and slammed my head on a table repeatedly. I had to undergo major surgery. My jaw was fractured and wired for months, and they had to put a bunch of metal plates in my head. The public must be allowed to vote on this matter. If you go ahead and pass it, you're crossing a line, and it's equivalent to an act of violence against the public. Well, they didn't let the public vote on it, and guess what? I hope he doesn't commit another bloody act of violence, because this guy's clearly insane. And imagine being... Wilcox, and while I I don't really like the idea of just taxpayers paying for rich owners' projects, at the same time, Wilcox was there in the building when he returns and says this. The man who tried to kill her over a baseball stadium tax vote is there. And after he was done, a councilman apologized to Wilcox, saying you should not have had to hear that. That's... Not cool. And yet here we are. This is democracy. You can come in. You can say what you want. And he said what he wanted to. Thankfully this time with his mouth and not a gun. Check out the CJOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. with Christian O'Mell and the Sports Show Podcast. Not available on iTunes. Not available on Google Podcasts. Not available anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Yes. Yes.